Hello, and welcome to Are You Karate Kidding Me? You're a resource for recaps, reviews, and items of interest from all around the Miyagi-verse. I'm your host, Colin Canaday. I am your host, Jenny Carlson. And we are back once again on our Cobra Kai recap, our epic recap of Season 4 of Cobra Kai. Many regard as the best season yet. I would say so. I think for me, a best season since season one. Mm-hmm. Yes, definitely high on everyone's list. Everyone's still enjoying it. Every time we rewatch these episodes for our recaps, we get something new out of it every time, do we not? We do. I do. Exactly. Yeah. So the items of interest from around the Miyagi-verse this week are Cobra Kai, still interesting. Still interesting. Also, Cobra Kai cast coming to the Paley Center during the Paley Week. That'll be fun. Yep, that's coming in early April in mm-hmm. Los Angeles, so check it out if you can. I think tickets are still available, at least Absolute. a few. What other news is there, Colin? Oh, we have a new cocktail to discuss. Yes, yeah, so we're switching up the game pretty significantly for this season. We're upping our own game because what you have taken upon yourself is we are inventing new cocktails in honor of references in the episodes, in honor of characters. This week, I guess, we're doing it in honor of Mitch. Kind of. I mean, we didn't call it Penis Breath. No. No. There are enough awful names for cocktails already. We don't really need to (laughs) add to that. But we're calling this one the Koi Pond, yes? This is the Koi Pond because we were inspired to make a Glacier Freeze cocktail. Yes. And believe me, finding a classy cocktail made of uh, where one of the components is Gatorade is not an easy task. We had to improvise a little bit. And actually, the version that we made has a couple of options for you. Exactly. So let's break it down. Well, this is a twist on a cosmopolitan. It's mm-hmm. called the Koi Pond. So we're using the Glacier Freeze in place of the cranberry juice that usually goes into a Cosmo. Right. So we Which have, should make it more sweet, yeah? Yeah, or, I mean, at worst, watered down. Mm. Because Gatorade is a little weaker than cranberry juice in terms of the punch that mm. it packs. Typically, a, a cosmopolitan, a traditional cosmopolitan, has vodka Cointreau, cranberry juice, and the vodka is vodka citron, like traditionally. And then you throw in some lime juice, an orange peel. We did not have vodka citron, so we did vodka with a bit of lemon juice. Right, and the lemon juice kind of makes up for the lack of the tartness of the cranberry. It gives you a little bit more of that bite that you want. Exactly. So we did kind of equal parts vodka and Glacier Freeze Gatorade. So, in this case, two ounces of each, one ounce of Pointreau, and then we did, like like with the vodka, a little bit of lemon juice, and then we added lime juice as well, like a teaspoon, mm-hmm. like a tablespoon of lemon juice for the citron and the vodka, and then a teaspoon or so of lime juice per serving, right? Yeah. And then threw in an orange peel. So, the appearance is light blue, but with an orange peel floating in it, it is a koi pond. Indeed. You can switch it up. You could keep the Glacier Freeze, but in order to make it really blue, you could swap out blue curacao for your Cointreau to make it electric blue. And if you don't have Glacier Freeze and you're like, I don't want Glacier Freeze, you can just use cranberry juice. You can either do the traditional red, although then it doesn't look like a koi pond anymore. It just looks like a red algae bloom. Mm -hmm. Or you could do white cranberry juice with blue curacao to make it super blue and just say Glacier Freeze in spirit. Indeed. And the effect, what would you say the result is, Colin, of the Glacier Freeze Cosmopolitan? Well, let me take a little sip right now. I mean, the vodka definitely gives it a little bit of a punch, but I think you mix this right, you've got like a nice 
pre-dinner cocktail or a nice afternoon porch drink. <laughs> I thought you were gonna say afternoon port, and I was like, I don't think no, I don't think the Johnny Lawrence set drinks port. But yeah, the vodka is quite strong. I would be curious to try it with blue curacao. I think sure we'll give that a shot as well. Yeah, or cut down the vodka and crank up the Gatorade to taste, basically. Or if you want to do some simple syrup in there to cut down the vodka as well, that could also work. Yeah. But that's basically the cocktail for this week, so we will be enjoying <laughs> that while we recap. And, and, and you will be enjoying what we say as we drink it, I hope. Absolutely. <laughs> so with that, should we jump right in with this week's recap? Absolutely. Well, with that... Let's fly with Cobra Kai, Season 4, Episode 3, Then Learn Fly. Then Learn Fly. So, we open with a montage set to Two Heads Are Better Than One by... Well, it's by Power Tool, but it's really Nelson doing business as Power Tool. Indeed. It's from the Bill and Ted soundtrack. Bill and Ted... Too. Bogus Journey. Yeah, yeah, Bogus Journey. And this is a fun montage. We've got all the gang here, both Eagle Fang and Miyagi-Do on the new Sparring Deck playset. we got Johnny V. <laughs> Miguel. Everyone's kind of checking out each other's moves and nodding in approval. We kind of cut back and forth to some different fun activities. Daniel eating a bento box and Johnny eating a bologna sandwich at lunch. It's cute. It's adorable to see them kind of mug with Daniel trying to this balloony sandwich and Johnny looking on with approval. It's basically scripted by Lego Cobra Kai, right? Like Johnny learning to meditate as Daniel leads, but secretly drinking a beer. Daniel, when everyone else has their eyes closed, looking over to catch Johnny drinking that beer. Johnny and Daniel sparring against each other on the sparring deck and Johnny trolling Daniel with a crane kick as the others kind of laugh. This is the kind of content that we've all been waiting for. And it's great to finally see it. And the music could not be better. Oh, absolutely. This is a great way to kick off an episode. Times are good here at Miyagi-Do slash Eagle Fang. Sam and Miguel kiss on the way to the car. Daniel and Johnny also, well, they fist bump. They fist bump. They uh, don't kiss. They kiss in our hearts. <laughs> yes. They've had a great day. And then they get into the Eagle Fang mobile, complete with an eagle cry, by the way. Yeah, so we get the official Eagle Fang mobile as the title card pops up. And then we cut to the LaRusso Mance, where it's pizza time, we, baby. We open on a pizza oven's eye view of the kitchen. I had no idea that was supposed to be a pizza oven there. LaRusso Mance has got it all, and apparently they did not bust that pizza oven in the big fight last season, so it is still in play. We're sitting down to a fully loaded pizza dinner. We've got the entire Johnny Lawrence fam, which is Johnny Carmen, Yaya, and Miguel. Mm-hmm. We've got the entire LaRusso fam, which is... Daniel, Sam, Amanda, and also Anthony. Look, He's Anthony's back. here again. Who so, knew? Yeah, three Anthony. episodes out of three. Yeah. Before that, we see Daniel and Johnny in the kitchen doing stuff. And Equipping. Jo- and Johnny, well, Johnny's looking over at, at Carmen and Amanda gossiping on the couch. And like Daniel's like, trouble in paradise? I noticed you two came in separate cars. And because clearly Johnny wants Carmen, right? And Johnny's like, oh, we're fine. She just wants to take things slow. Then Johnny flips the beer cap. I didn't know that was a speed you could go. Oh, yeah, wise ass. And Daniel catches it, which is a sign of just how in sync they are. And then Daniel goes off to get the Barolo. Nice product placement. And tells Johnny to get his broccoli rob 
off the stove, just plate it, which mm-hmm. is hilarious because, of course, Daniel's been talking about his broccoli rob since, I think, season one. Oh, well, there you go. And also, you know, even though they're not the same plant, it's also reminiscent of Billy Zabka saying that Ralph Macchio stays young because he eats so much broccolini. Growing boy loves his broccolini. Nice little in, in and out world Easter eggs there. So cut to the kitchen where Johnny is plating. Anthony comes in and gives Johnny the business because Johnny doesn't even recognize Anthony at first. Anthony does indeed give him the business by saying, What the hell are you doing here? Then he realizes and says, Wait, are you the son? Are you the boy? And asks, What'd you do, switch over to Whopper Juniors? It's called a growth spurt. And we get my favorite line from Anthony so far. It's called a growth spurt. Dipshit. And so they kind of... Hey, kids. Jump to the... Dinner. Well, I mean, what's a good name for this supper scene, would you say? Yeah, they're at the long table in the kitchen where Johnny and Daniel previously had that summit over an awkward breakfast. And Amanda mentions that when Carmen says she'll never get sick of seeing Johnny and Daniel together. Then they catch up on how things are going. Daniel weighs into the dealership's doing great. Sam's future is so bright. Sam's future is so bright, she's got to wear shades. Because Daniel and the family have a joke about Sam taking over the dealership since she grew up there, was practically born there. But Sam's not so sure what she wants to do. Daniel's like dropping all these hints about Sam could go to USC, UCLA. Sam is not thrilled about this. But Amanda pivots away by asking Miguel how things are going for him. And they say straight A's this semester. Daniel is excited for Miguel and says with grades like that, he could go wherever he wants. And Miguel lets us know that he wants to go to Stanford. That's a pretty impressive school. Yeah, tuition at Stanford is gnarly, but maybe Miguel could get a grant? Maybe there's a grant for karate students from the Valley? Carmen is hedging her bet. We're also thinking about Santa Monica College, right, Miguel? Let's save money, live at home. Daniel's there to root for Miguel no matter what. Miguel's really nervous as he talks to Daniel. SMC's great, too. It's right by the beach. Have you checked out their campus? And Daniel's... 100% 100% in Miguel's corner. Miguel doesn't realize this. As he's reaching, he knocks over Daniel's wine glass straight onto Daniel, making Miguel feel even worse. He spills red wine onto a red shirt. How dare he? Exactly. But all seems forgiven, and all probably already was forgiven. And now, as Daniel and Johnny walk to the door with the rest of Johnny's fam following behind him, his chosen fam, and we learn from their back and forth that they're going to be swapping off with each other's students tomorrow. That's right. They're doing classic student swap. So everyone puts their their geese in a bowl. <laughs> uh, no, but yeah, no. As an exercise, Daniel will be handling eagle fangs tomorrow, and and Johnny will be handling Miyagi-Dos. Yeah, and of course, Johnny says, "I had some ideas on how to get your kids' offense up to snuff." Mm-hmm. Which Daniel finds hilarious, and of course, Johnny then tells Miguel, "Make sure all that defense doesn't turn you into a cream puff." Because we all know that that's the worst thing you could be called in a karate tournament. A great little Easter egg there for those on the Easter egg hunt. Daniel quips back, "Hey, and I'm serious. I better not see a scratch on my Miyagi dose." Indeed, the fact that Daniel's saying he better not see a scratch on his Miyagi dose looks like it doesn't sit well with Sam. I think she's not really interested in being Daniel's prize, whatever. He talks about his students kind of like cars. Exactly. Speaking of people who don't know how good they've got it, cut to Terrence's house, where Terry Silver is back again. He's eating his breakfast out on the deck. Terry's enjoying the Japanese news straight from Japan, but a misbegotten brulee sets off his PTSD and causes him to remember his Wookiee life debt to John Kreese. Well, in this scene, we learn a few things, right? So first of all, Terry's alone. He tells the cook that the chef, that Cheyenne will not be joining him. The chef is almost Chef Ryan from Billions. 
All right, boys, what do we say to Chef Ryan? Thank you. But not quite. Like, if he hadn't clicked that brulee thing, maybe Terry wouldn't have the flashback to Vietnam that sends him looking for Crease. But they spend enough time lingering on this that we have a moment for Terry to flashback to the flamethrowers and think about John Crease liberating him from that POW camp. Now given a lot to think about, and then he's decided he's going to kind of step out on breakfast and go clear his head. Meanwhile, at Cobra Kai proper... Kenny walks in here just like Daniel did at the beginning, complete with the sound of the Akias in the background. He looks around at the scene before him, and just at that moment, we spin the camera around and we see Kreese standing behind him, giving him the standard Cobra Kai greeting of, what are you doing here? <laughs> yeah, when he says he's looking for Robbie Keane, of course, then we get the standard hail of, Mr. Keane, you have a visitor. Yes, and Kenny... Stops practice to tell Robbie why he's here. Robbie uh, replies back. No, Sean had a brother. I think he speaks for all of us. None of us did until this season. But None of us did. He's here, yeah. Kenny tells Robbie he's heard that his brother said that he could help him, and Crease has no patience for it, saying you interrupted my class. Robbie says Kenny's brother is one of the toughest guys in the valley. Kicked my ass a few times. Now this has already turned into an audition, right? Kreese tells Kenny he's got to prove he's worthy. He's got to take off his shoes and get on the mat. Robbie does speak up for Kenny because Kenny's brother is tough. Sean Payne did kick Robbie's ass a few times. PolitiFact equals true on that one. Kreese says you have to prove that you're worthy. Learning Cobra Kai's secrets. How do I do that? A lot of gatekeeping here at Cobra Kai. Indeed. Yeah, and Robbie... They they own the gate and they keep it. Robbie looks kind of nervous there for Kenny, or or at least a little bit like, ugh, what's going to happen now, right? And what is going to happen now? Well, Kreese tells him to take his shoes off and get on the mat. Indeed. Meanwhile, at Miyagi-Do, we see the eagle fangs and Hawk stretching it out, and Miguel is sharing his worries that he is not worthy of Sam. We're not worthy! We're not worthy! Miguel is worried about his poor kid's status, telling his pals that he's worried Sam's parents will think he's not good enough for her. I don't know, man. You should have heard the way that Miss LaRusso was talking about Sam's future. What if they start to think I'm not good enough for her? Hawk says, of course, loyally, You're El Serpiente. You're an all-Valley champion. All Miguel has to do is show Mr. LaRusso what he's made of. I love that Daniel goes by Mr. LaRusso. Mm. And I think it's interesting that the guy trained by a Japanese guy doesn't want to be called Sensei. Very telling of Daniel. He only picks up on Japanese stuff really when he wants to. He's doing Suntory highballs and he's really big into his bento boxes. But yeah, I think it's telling in that it's his link to Mr. Miyagi, right? Mr. Miyagi had no need to be called by this title. That's true. It's the way that Mr. Miyagi did it. And so that's how he's going to do it. Exactly. I think we cut right to the heart of that one. So Daniel walks in and the eagle fangs think that doing Miyagi-Do is going to be a cakewalk. But it turns out, according to Daniel, it's going to be a fish grab. Today's lesson is simple. Catch a fish. So we go to the koi pond, hence the cocktail we're drinking. And Daniel says, what do you do if your opponent is faster than you? Which lets me believe that maybe Daniel knows they've got Kenny coming at them. Funny that that works out that way. Daniel also explains that they have to catch a fish, but they're going to make it interesting. We're going to make it interesting. So the first to succeed will have the honor of leading class all week. 
And if that wasn't impressive enough, I'm picking out what flavor Gatorade Daniel buys next. Oh, hell yeah. Hope you all like Glacial Freeze. Here's Mitch's moment, right? He's stoked because if he wins, he's going to get everybody Glacier Freeze. It's good stuff. But yeah, the eagle fangs are trying to catch this fish. With their hands. Miguel asks, where's the fishing rods? And Daniel's like, no fishing rods for this one. You're going to catch it with your hands. Exactly. So immediately Miguel goes for a fish, falls in, is humiliated as the others laugh. But of course, Daniel fondly says, looks like you're a little wet behind the ears. Miguel doesn't realize what that really means to Daniel, that he could say that to someone because Mr. Miyagi said it to him. Seems like maybe Daniel is training to the Mr. Miyagi gags that he's familiar with, kind of like he did with Johnny in the last episode. Yep. Yeah, he's still riding high off of his uh, Mr. Miyagi fantasy camp. Yeah, I think if Miguel and any of these characters knew just how many Easter eggs were going on, they would feel a lot better about their status in this show. Yeah, well, at least he didn't spill a giant glass of wine on Mr. Lurus. Oh, wait, no, he already did that. He already did that, yeah. Um, Anyway, (laughs) yeah, Miguel gets off to an inauspicious start. Meanwhile, the Miyagi-Dos are headed to the roof to learn how to fly like eels. So we cut to the Miyagi-Dos coming up a stairwell. Out of breath, they've clearly been coming up high. Nate asks Dimitri where Johnny's taking them. Dimitri says, I heard he drowned a kid in a pool trying to teach him how to kick. And that was before he sicked a rabid dog on Eli. This does not bode well. Everyone looks a little disheartened as Johnny yells that they need to move their asses to get to the top of the roof. So, yeah. Johnny lays out the challenge for the Miyagi-Dos, and what does he say about this challenge? Well, I mean, Johnny explains that... When an eagle's hungry, doesn't hesitate. Yes, once again, Johnny jumping in to, to give us a, a explainer on what he thinks eagles do and do not do. <laughs> exactly. And he says that... Doesn't wait around for a fish to jump at his feet. Dimitri cuts in... Helen's not talent, it's instinct. He wants the Miyagi-Dos to parkour their way across the gap. Parkour. Internet sensation of 2004. The goal is to get from point A to point B as creatively as possible. Between these two buildings, the one that they're standing on and the one next to it. 360 spin onto the palace, backflip gainer into the trash can. Yeah, gainer! Yeah, yeah! Parkour, parkour! Parkour, parkour! Johnny has kindly placed some mattresses in the alley below. This is how the Miyagi-Dos will learn to strike first, by jumping from one roof to the next one. And as Dimitri points out... The building is like five nates away, and we're at least 14 nates high. Which Nate says back. Please don't use me as a system of measurement. Quiet! Yeah, everybody thinks Johnny's lost his mind, and maybe he has. At any rate, no one is willing to jump, and so Sam settles in for the duration. Johnny's crazy, but crazy like an eagle. The, the Miyagi-Dos are like, what if we fall? And Johnny has an explanation for everything. That's what the mattresses are for. If we miss the mattresses? Try not to. So when Johnny asks who's first, no one is willing, and Sam settles in for the duration, even as Johnny looks on unimpressed. All right, who's first? Yeah, they're not leaving, he says, until someone jumps. Let's go. I'll wait. It's going to be a long afternoon for the for the Miyagi-Dos. I hope they packed a lunch. I don't blame them. I, I, too, share their survival instinct. Then I guess you'll be waiting a long time. Meanwhile, at Cobra Kai, Kenny Payne gets his audition. All right, Mr. Payne. Let's see what you got. 
Chris calls Kyler up to fight Kenny, even though Kenny has no fighting experience. To be a Cobra Kai. Chris explains. You have to have a killer instinct. Instincts again. Who would have thunk it? Exactly. Chris looks particularly evil here. Kyler tells Kenny, as they assume fighting positions, not to worry. He will go easy on him. And Kenny backs up when Kyler advances. Of course. Peace. <laughs> Kyler's telling Kenny to grow some pews. Let's go. Come on. It's very elevated discourse here. Chris tells Kenny to try again. And once again, he flinches when Kyler comes at him and scurries backward as the others laugh. <laughs> so, yeah, Kenny's heart is not in this yet. He doesn't know what he's doing here. Kyler is enjoying being the scary one. And even though the others are laughing, Chris asks them what's so funny. Yeah, the Cobra Kai's have a good laugh at Kenny's expense. But Chris isn't interested in laughing. He's just interested in making them excellent for the all valley he says they don't have time we don't have time for losers or cowards or cowards and with that pointed look at kenny kenny realizes his time on the mat is done he goes collects his shoes or not i can't tell and walks out the door as, as robbie looks conflicted well kenny bails and robbie looks pensive indeed meanwhile back at miyagi do the eagle fangs are headed out on a break having caught nothing so i guess it will not be sushi for lunch for these guys yeah mitch like a kid trying to get to second base says so close to catching one i definitely touch scale when <laughs> reaching under the water but miguel isn't going to go with him because his mom's supposed to pick him up however at that moment his phone buzzes and he hears from carmen Emma? Okay. Uh, yeah, I'll just catch a new bro. Okay, love you. Bye. That her car is out of commission. Miguel gets a bad news over the phone that Carmen's got car troubles. Sadly, the car talk guys are no longer here. And above all, don't drive like my brother. And above all, all don't drive like <laughs> my brother. But fortunately, LaRusso Auto Group is... Indeed, hey, hey. that's right. Daniel overhears this call and asks Miguel if everything's okay. And Miguel, again, nervous about not being up to snuff in front of Daniel. He tries to play it down, but Daniel insists that he can help out. He says, I do this for a living. Let me help. So you know, in the Miyagi-verse, car repairs are an offer you can't refuse. Miguel, I do this for a living. Let me help. Daniel offers Miguel a ride to the garage, and Miguel gets in. Meanwhile, at the top of the roof, Johnny is throwing pallets on the ground as a platform people could use. He comes up to Sam and asks her what her problem is. Don't tell me you're scared of heights. Worried you're going to mess up your hair. This is a great conversation. Uh, Sam, of course, states the obvious, which is Mr. LaRusso would be furious if he knew the Miyagi-Dos were trying this. And Johnny wisely points out, well, no one's tried anything yet, so he can't possibly get in trouble until somebody gets hurt. Yeah, Johnny's really goading Sam here, asking her if she does everything her mommy and daddy tell her to do. And I love this scene particularly because they're working out their issues. We've been waiting for this since season one. This is a great point counterpoint conversation because johnny's whole stance is i know what i'm doing and samantha's whole stance is do you because based on your track record you don't have the best judgment sam says he doesn't have the best judgment based on his track record and now johnny pushes back about that car wreck how about smashing into my firebird and driving off with your girlfriends you want to explain that they're doing a tit for tat thing with sam showing up to johnny's door drunk back in season two and that wasn't your fault either mm -hmm. all of this but 
Sam isn't into it. I'm a teenager who's made a couple of mistakes. You're a 50-something-year-old man and clearly hasn't figured out his own life. So when Johnny taunts Sam, he wants her to spread her wings. She points out that Johnny himself does not have great judgment. Johnny's like, if they tell you to jump off a bridge, would you? Sam's like, you're telling me to jump off a building. Yeah, onto another building. It seems that dropping truth bombs is on Amanda's side of the family tree, but Sam has definitely inherited that trait. This is a great moment, though, because it lets Johnny say, If I did everything my parents wanted me to do, I'd be wearing a suit and tie and some worthless job while I wait out the clock. fact equals true. <laughs> and instead... Now I get to do what I love every damn day. Throw teenagers off of buildings onto well, other buildings. <laughs> He says he gets to try to help kids like Sam find their own way, which is cool. And it gives Sam something to think about. He tells her if she wants to sit in the back seat her whole life, go right ahead. This is an unfair judgment, really, of Miyagi-Do as only being in the back seat. But I get from the way Daniel is hedging everything that it looks yeah. that way, right? Yeah. To be fair, Johnny, when you're in Miyagi-Do, you don't get the back seat. You get a giant bench-style seat in the banana boat That's <laughs> as true. you're driving to golf and stuff. That's true. Open 10 a.m. every day at Metro Center. It's golf and stuff. Johnny explains his raison d'etre, and it all sounds pretty convincing. Thanks, Billy Zabka. Yeah, these two are evenly matched, and they give each other a lot to think about. Meanwhile, scene 10, Cobra Kai. The kids are leaving practice, and Kyler asks Tori if she wants to stand in line with him to buy new Nikes. She says, how many sneakers do you need? So, you know, she is continually unimpressed by Kyler's level of privilege. As the kids walk out, Terry Silver walks in. Turn around, son of a bitch. And Kreese smirks at his victory. Terry says to Kreese, I was living a perfectly happy life, and you had to go mess with my head by dredging up the past. Kreese says, I just reached out to an old friend. But if the past bothers you so much, maybe you've got some unresolved issues. Kreese may be a master karate sensei, but he also knows how to do quite a bit of emotional taekwondo. He's <laughs> practically a master of the passive-aggressive... Exactly. Yeah, I mean, he asked Terry why he's here and says, Did you look at the mirror what you've become? Increases whole MO is goading Terry into action. And Terry is still holding his own, standing up for himself. And then Kreese says, You're just an old man in the last chapter of his life, clinging to some happy ending. We will overlook the fact that Thomas Ian Griffith is a year younger than Ralph Macchio, yet he's supposed to be a baby boomer. Yes, and we'll also overlook the fact that when we came in on this season, Terry seemed to have it pretty much locked up. He's got a great house not too far from Venice Beach. He's got Cheyenne. He's got Wait, tofu. is it Venice Beach or Malibu? Somewhere on the 101. I mean, in, in reality, that house is on the Atlantic coast, but we won't go there. We just know that it's on Highway 1, on the beach, and gorgeous. Exactly. Exactly. But yeah, so, yeah, it seems a little weird. Like, from all we knew of Terry, he now parties every day with his... I'll give Crease that his friends are a little pretentious, but... I had no idea you had a karate face. By and large, it looked like a pretty chill hang. Yeah. So, Terry continues to go back and forth, takes his shoes off, and... And as Kreese goads him on, Terry says, why? Why couldn't you let sleeping dogs lie? The most, the most Jack Nicholson's joker of all of his lines. He said, there are hundreds of senseis in the valley who could help Kreese in his little war. I mean, after all, that's all the valley is. But there's no one, Kreese says, he trusts more than Terry. Kreese is like, I called everyone. I called Topanga Karate. <laughs> I, tried all, I, I tried All-Star Karate. Mike like, Barnes, they're... the bad boy of karate, he could be working on General Hospital. Representing the Cobra Kai... The Challenger, Mike Barnes! And you, 
dream about me. Karate's bad boy. Mike Burns. Terry says this isn't his fight, and Chris replies aptly, if that were so, you wouldn't be standing here. He asked Terry if he misses it, and Terry protests, I don't miss a goddamn thing. Just like Aerosmith, he doesn't miss a thing. No, no, he doesn't want to miss a thing. At any rate, Kreese is bringing him in, saying, I can see it in your eyes. You've gotten this far, Terry. What's stopping you now? And then Kreese says, the kicker, are you afraid you're a little rusty? And here the music swells. They've, they're really doing a good job of developing Terry's theme as Terry comes up and faints a punch toward Kreese. And Kreese says, not bad. Not bad at all. Of course, we know Thomas Ian Griffith has kept up with his martial arts, so he really isn't bad. When Kreese goads Terry into saying, oh, what are you, a little rusty? Terry rears up and like punches the, and kicks the air like an inch from Kreese's face to really drive his point home. There's no way Terry Silver or Thomas Ian Griffith are out of practice. Just go ask that red solo cup. <laughs> Okay. That demo he sent to John Herberts? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So it's fun to keep the roles reversed here in light of how Terry anchored Crease in Karate Kid 3 and propelled Crease along. Now Crease is going to propel Terry. Terry walks off and Crease tells Terry, There's still time to finish what we started. Choice is yours. Crease reminds Terry that not all the memories were bad. Still time to finish what they started and together they can rule the galaxy as. Well, not as father and son, but you get it. You know. Sensei and junior sensei. <laughs> as co-sensei. As co-senseis. As two kings. Indeed. Or like, I, or king and a kick-ass duke. Indeed. Terry walks off after a searching look at Crease, but we know he'll be back. Meanwhile, at Kenny's house... Robbie knocks on the door. It looks like he found Kenny from the label on his backpack. Robbie asks Kenny how Sean is, and Kenny tells Robbie that they gave him an extra month because he spit in a guard's face. Robbie replies, Yeah, sounds like him. Hope it was the guard in the computer lab. I've been given what Robbie went through in the computer lab. I understand his feelings. It's my fault. Kenny tells Robbie that it's his fault that Sean was sent up in the first place because Kenny caught one of Sean's shitty friends stealing from their parents and Sean got between Kenny and the perp and beat him pretty bad. I mean, that's really not Kenny's fault. That's the perp's fault. Oh, for sure. But, you know, without some guilt driving Kenny, like, we we can't... We gotta get this narrative moving forward, right? And Kenny explains to Robbie, with, with Sean gone... That's why I was hoping you could... Look. And that's why he was hoping, but Robbie says... I can't be your tutor. I have to focus on the All Valley. Robbie says, I got no time. No time to tutor. But one look at an ins- a frankly quite insane Instagram prank convinces him otherwise. Yeah, Robbie, Robbie... Kenny gets a notification on his phone at this point. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Robbie tries to say that he can't tutor Kenny, but then Kenny gets a notification that upsets him. And when Robbie demands to see it, we see that Kenny's locker is turning into a milk tsunami on TikTok. And the sight of this turns the tide for Robbie. <laughs> He's going to help Kenny after all. Is that TikTok or is that Instagram? It's a generic social media app, but I think it's intended to be TikTok. So yeah, we cut to the backyard where Robbie gives Kenny a quick rundown of, well... I'm not going to make contact. Karate in general, I guess. All right, but that means you have to stay in the fight. Because Kenny always has a tendency to flinch and back away. And when Robbie puts Kenny in that fighting stance, brings his elbows in, 
and tells him to always look his opponent in the eye, it kind of breaks my heart because that's a lesson from Daniel LaRusso. Oh, yeah. It's an Easter egg all the way back to Karate Kid 1 if you want to... Well, yeah. Yeah, if you're on that Easter egg hunt. But what we see is that Robbie is bringing the the Miyagi-Do side of his training in with his compassion for Kenny and his desire to help him. Yeah, see, that's the interesting thing. Robbie, now in Cobra Kai, when push comes to shove, he leads with Miyagi-Do. Very telling. Indeed. When it's someone he really cares about with his heart, right? Mm -hmm. Robbie tells Kenny because Kenny keeps flinching he cannot believe that he is Sean's brother and you know Kenny says that all he can really do is run all I can do is run and Robbie cannily tells him use that instead of using your speed to run away from your enemies used to run at them yes run at your enemies screaming and flailing your arms if possible <laughs> indeed nice reminder of Kenny's quickness Cut to LaRusso Auto Group, where Daniel and Miguel walk in. We're about to be on a run here of stories from Karate Kids 1, 2, and 3, so hang on to your hat. Daniel's always been the voice of reason for Johnny, and now he's being the voice of reason in, in, in the face of Daniel's insane antics. Because Daniel's explaining to Miguel that how his mom's car worked. Compared to that hunk of junk, this is going to be a piece of cake. And Miguel can't believe that Daniel's alive. And then Daniel says, aptly, this car, Miguel's mom's car, needs a new serpentine belt right so miguel is el serpiente the subtext reads surely miguel is the man who can repair this belt well exactly i mean daniel being true to form he's like why do a tedious chore when i can have my (laughs) student do it for me (laughs) exactly and, and, and pawn it off as a lesson so yeah he wants miguel to fix the car himself yeah daniel says i know a great repair guy and when Miguel says who from Daniel's expression and clapping Miguel on the shoulders, we know what he wants. Yeah, Miss LaRusso, I don't know anything about fixing cars. And Daniel says, you know, he didn't know anything Mr. Miyagi showed him, but now he's got the guy with the billboards. Maybe, he says, Miguel will have billboards of his own one day. And Miguel says, feeling sorry for himself, they don't make billboards for guys going to community college. Of course, this gives Daniel an opening to tell us that he didn't even go to college. So what happened? I, um... Anything that mortifies Miguel about a possibility for his future, Daniel has already lived it out. Well, also, I want to flag here that, again, Daniel and Johnny, their lessons, while coming from completely different angles, are running parallel to each other. Like, Daniel and Johnny want Miguel and Samantha, respectively, to pull themselves up by their own bootstraps, basically. Yeah, for sure. But anyway, Daniel takes this opportunity to recap this. Miguel is concerned that he can't go to a good college. Daniel explains that he never went. Blew the entire fund on a round-trip ticket to Okinawa. It was very expensive for last-minute tickets. Now, where have we heard this criticism before? Anyway, at the airport, Miyagi is just about to board the plane. He's on the jetway. When Daniel comes running up, Looks like Daniel was able to get a last-minute plane ticket, too. Unfortunately, in 1980s money, that means he probably blew his entire college tuition, which Mr. Miyagi is... I think in those days, plane tickets were non-refundable as as much as they are now. So he would have been out the money or in difficulties no matter what. Maybe Miyagi knew that, and he was just giving Daniel a hard time. (laughs) But... 
Fortunately, he then explains that he won his money back. Thanks to a little ice-breaking contest, I came back with more money than I left with. Well, yeah, he won his money back in the ice-breaking contest, right? So That's right. He won his money back on that ice-breaking contest. But then when they got back to the valley... Well, I blew that on a bonsai tree store. Don't even ask. He blew all that money on the bonsai tree store. Bonsai tree. Which... <laughs> is even more baffling, because if you remember our recap of Karate Kid 3, there was a perfectly good retail space right across the street next to Robin's pottery studio. I'm still confused. Like, Daniel loves Shark Tank, but if he had gone on Shark Tank and Karate Kid 3, they would have been like, you're out of here, man. <laughs> See all the stuff? Everything in here? It's all yours. There is no scenario on this planet where this is worth a million dollars. Yes, we've just enough left over for renovations if we're careful. I'm not a big believer that you have anything that's protectable. It'd be a great spot up here, right, for to, to do like a like a bonsai display. I mean, it's a hustle, right? I Wait mean, a second, it's a the hustle. The market's a hustle. Uh, exactly. Oh, I thought of a name. I even thought of a name. Check it out, Mr. Miyagi's Little Trees. But you realize how stupid it all sounds, right? Do not screw with Mr. Wonderful. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, but the point is, Daniel says to Miguel, his own path, them go in a straight line. Daniel says to Miguel, when your opponent swings at you, you always go in a circular motion. You move in the opposite direction of what your opponent wants. And he says that life is like that, too. Life's like that, too. You could reach any goal you want. It just might mean taking the circular path. So this is a nice moment where we learn about how not only Daniel, but the Cobra Kai creators think about redemption, right? You might not go the conventional route, but you could do it. And Daniel tells Miguel that he believes in him. Exactly. Cut to the rooftop eagles, <laughs> where uh, Johnny says they all fail when Sam gets a text from Daniel saying he had a great time that afternoon with Miguel. Yeah, Sam is there with all the Miyagi-Dos who refuse to become eagle fangs by jumping from roof to roof. And when Johnny tells everyone it's time to go and says to Sam, looks like she got what she wanted, Sam considers her options. Looks at the task in front of her, that leap from building to building, and the music swells. This is a, an incredible moment. Leo Bierenberg also said, right, this music is the, the height of what they're trying to do with the soundtrack of Cobra Kai. This rock and classical fusion as Sam backs up picks up speed and hops on those pallets to leap from building to building. All the other Miyagi-Dos kind of saw what Sam was raring up to do and let her just roll with it. But guess what? Winners write history and Sam nice move, wins by making this incredible leap from building to building. Exactly. And so it looks like Sam wins today's lesson. What kind of Gatorade is Sam going to pick? I don't know. Sam, who will not be the eternal first child, takes the opportunity to leap over the gap between buildings, cementing her eagle status. Sam just wants to fly, not unlike Sugar Ray. That take is incredible because we see the slow motion of her running, the leap from a couple of angles. We see the Miyagi-Dos reacting like, oh shit, this is happening. And then Johnny lights up and, and my heart grows three sizes when he says, nice move, LaRusso. Exactly. It's so good. We see it's the, so good. Yeah, Johnny. Johnny's there for the work. He's not going to be prejudiced against where you come from. He just wants to see what you got. Exactly. Cut to Terrence's house where Terry is taking his meds and ignoring texts from Cheyenne. Shame on you, Terry. This is what happens when you don't thank Cheyenne for the tofu. Terry's ghosting Cheyenne for some reason, and I can't imagine why, because she gives great tofu. 
Please thank Cheyenne for the tofu. So as Terry takes those pills and opens up his robe, he looks down at a scar on the side of his abdomen. Yeah, apparently we now know that Terry had a tattoo there, although it seems like he may have removed it with sandpaper. And he runs his hand over it, and then we flash back to a scene where rock music's playing as young Terry Silver receives a tattoo from a guy in a cowboy hat. With a heart set <laughs> Johnny, this hurts. While Kreese tells Terry not to be a pansy. So Kreese's tattoo is already done. They're both getting cobras tattooed on their bod. I like it. I told you. Nothing says a successful tour of Vietnam like matching cobra tattoos. Exactly. So this is sometime in the 70s, right? The music that's playing is Like a Fighter by Alexander Rudd and Zach Lemon. And this is after they've returned from Vietnam. They're getting their their tattoos. Terry is so mild-mannered compared to who he would become, right? He's he's the one who thinks his tattoo is painful. And this is where Kreese lays out his plans for their way of the fist. It's called the All Valley Under-18 Tournament started while we were away he has it all figured out he's found a flyer for the all valley tournament now this is the seventh annual all valley tournament from that we could actually extrapolate the year i can do the math later but he tells terry this is a great opportunity for them to train up some students and you know open up a dojo and terry looks hesitant because his father he explains to crease wants him to take over the company and leave Vietnam and karate behind him. He said if I don't do what he says, he's cutting me out of the inheritance. But what about the dojo? Terry's dad wants him to come apprentice at Dynatox. Terry says he'll still back Cobra Kai financially. Yeah. So, you know, he says it's his father. He can't just, you know, walk out on him. No, I can still pay my half of the rent. Even more. He's going to do his best from what he from where he is. And Kreese is going to have to go it alone with the day-to-day operations of the dojo. Is this going to be one of the rumored Cobra Kai spinoffs? Terry oh, interning at Dynatops? <laughs> <laughs> kind of like The Office, but more 70s? Well, I mean, maybe that's what how Terry turns into the truly maniacal man he becomes, right? It's not just trauma and, and Kreese's authoritarian culture or, yeah. or emulating Ponytail from Vietnam. It's actually that Terry also drinks a toxic chemical inadvertently while at Dynatox that turns him into a DC Comics level villain. What kind of a world we live in where a man dressed up as a bat gets all of my press. This town needs an enema. I mean, loyalty is definitely on the order today. Kreese says he's not going to leave Terry behind. So, once again, a stopped Kreese is right twice a day. <laughs> well, it's true. Terry doesn't know if he can ever go back to a normal life, right? Like- <laughs> PolitiFact equals true on that one. He does not return to a normal life by any means. I know. <laughs> but, you know, Kreese reminds Terry, fear at least to crease does not exist i do like that the catchphrase right now is fear does not exist because they don't have a dojo yet you can get through anything why because you've got me that could be both a heartening pep talk or a declaration of complete and total control or complete and total denial crease holds up his hand to terry and says cobra kai prompting terry to reply never dies never dies never dies once again absolutely true did not die (laughs) meanwhile terry silver whose eyes are now curiously blue in the present day is looking at himself in the mirror then reaches into a drawer and pulls out a ponytail holder 
He pulls out the ponytail holder of destiny as the music swells. <laughs> it's the most ominous I'm putting my hair in a ponytail scene I think I've ever seen in any show. It's really true. And in this moment, we'd seen it, I was like, whose ponytail holder is that? So I messaged John Hurwitz on Twitter and asked him, is that is that Terry's ponytail holder or Cheyenne's? And John said that he thinks it's Terry's ponytail holder. It's gotta be. Very important facts. Yeah. I mean, look, Terry has plenty of money. He's probably got ponytail holders strewn all about the house just in case he decides to make that villain turn at any moment that's right like shadow terry (laughs) just goes around at night leaving stuff around yeah like yellow jackets terry's a somnambulist but instead of going out in the yard to eat dirt he goes out (laughs) and plants ponytail holders around the house i don't have pika i just leave ponytail holders laying around like i don't know uh spoiler alert for yellow jackets indeed bye yeah only watch that show during the daylight were you outside last night eating dirt no Meanwhile, in the evening at Reseda Flats, across the valley, Johnny's stepping up to his door when he turns back toward Carmen's door, flashes back to what he told Sam and the Miyagi-Dos. When an eagle's hungry, doesn't hesitate. With a little montage of him and Carmen. And as the jumping theme from earlier plays, Johnny walks decidedly towards the door and knocks. The clever thing here is they actually film it the exact same way that they filmed Sam rearing up to jump off the roof earlier. They go in close up on Johnny's sneakers as he turns his stride towards the door and rears up to make a charge at the thing that he wants, which is Carmen. Exactly. So, knocks at the door, Carmen opens the door, and... Uh, Miguel's not home. I'm not here for Miguel. He's here for Carmen. You know, he he starts to give her the speech about... I know you want to take things slow. Maybe we should talk about this later. Tired of waiting. I want to talk about this now with you. She tries to stop him, but he's tired of waiting. I mean, he's there just like Jerry Maguire. He's come to tell Carmen that she completes him. No, no. He says that (laughs) he's not afraid to take the leap with her. They'll figure it out together. Because he can't sit in the back seat any longer. I'm a top-down, hair-blowing-on-the-wind kind of guy. Is what he's saying. And I'm not afraid to take the leap with you. While Carmen listens to all this, kind of taken with it. We'll figure it out together. Johnny lays it all out on the table. Unbeknownst to Johnny, all of Yaya's friends are sitting in the living room listening to him, too. I'm going to translate. Completing the Jerry Maguire moment. Carmen is hesitant but receptive. You know, they say that there's a lot to figure out, but Johnny says they can do it together. And Carmen is into it. Okay. Johnny's going to go back to his apartment while she figures it out, but she calls him back and gives him a very, very intense kiss. They're going to go for it, and they're going to go for it with all of Rose's friends watching. One of them asks, does he have an older brother? So I think they don't mind. As we pan over a beauty shot of the valley, we then cut to Cobra Kai. Where Kyler is flipping in a student onto the mat when Kenny walks in. Do that all day! And declares his desire for another shot. I want another shot. Kreese shuts him down, but Robbie takes this opportunity to go to bat for Kenny, saying maybe he'll surprise you. Kenny nods as Kreese says, all right on the mat and then tells Kyler to make this quick. You go, Sensei. So they line up yet again. Kenny knows the drill. He takes off his shoes and socks. He's ready to roll, or so it seems. But when they wind up and Kyler comes for Kenny, he flinches. And of course, Kreese is unimpressed. (laughs) Robbie looks disappointed. Kyler crows. And Kenny, egged on by his anger at all of these people laughing at him. And we've seen this before, right? Miguel was goaded into action in season one when he flashed back on Kyler and the other people bullying him. Now this is happening with Kenny. 
and Kenny doubles down on the intensity and lunges for Kyler. Hit me when I wasn't looking. Using his speed to take Kyler by surprise. Kenny charges across the mat and sucker punches Kyler in the face. And we cut back to the stun Cobra Kai's and then we cut back to Crease and Crease is into it. Where are you going, Mr. Payne? Much like Carmen was into Johnny's <laughs> in advance. In a different way, but yes. Indeed. <laughs> so, Crease says to Kenny, that was your one chance. And Kenny turns to walk away, but Crease calls him back. Yeah, Crease wasn't saying that was your one chance. He was saying, that was your one chance. Take your spot. And now you're in. That's yeah. right. So Kenny smiles and looks relieved and he shoots Robbie a grateful look. It's hard to see this because Kenny's such a likable kid. Robbie likes Kenny and Robbie can be a likable kid. But we know that when you're working at Crease's Cobra Kai, anything can happen to your soul. Exactly. Cut to Miyagi-Do at the Koi Pond play set. Where the eagles are trying to fish the koi out of the pond like Gollum at the riverside. That's right. Mitch's going for the fish and says, how do they make it look so easy on hillbilly hand fishing? Years of practice, my man. Exactly. This is the point where I would cut to a clip of hillbilly hand fishing. I'm sorry. Your call cannot be completed as dialed. Please hang up and check the number and dial again. This is a recording. But I'm not going to do that because I have better things to do with my time. Burn! Miguel has synthesized the Miyagi-Do defense in a way because after Daniel explained to him the, the philosophy of the circular motion, Miguel is going to put that into practice in the koi pond. As the eagle fangs walk around the deck, the fish all go under it. Miguel takes this opportunity to get in and... It's working! They're going under the board. He starts trying to corral the fish, and he coaches the other eagle fangs to do the same, corralling the fishes. Hot dog, we have a wiener. We have a winner. And it's Miguel. Yeah, he pulls that fish out from under the deck, and his face looks like Daniel's did when he caught the fly with a chopstick in the karate kid. Daniel's thrilled. Miguel is thrilled. Miguel wins the day. Outside of Miyagi-Do, though, Johnny pulls up in the eagle fang mobile at the same time that some of the Miyagi-Dos are rolling in. And they all have new respect for each other, or really, he has new respect for Sam. He tells them that they all have to grow a pair, he says, before pausing and saying, Of legs, to jump. He adds, and Sam says she gets it. We understand, sensei. It's fine, whatever. He gets a respectful sensei out of Sam, I notice. That's right, they have new understanding of each other. Johnny rounds the bonsai trees. He sees Daniel planting a Miyagi headband on Miguel. Meanwhile, yeah, on the Okinawan sparring deck, Daniel's presenting Miguel with another one of these tenugui that Mr. Miyagi gave to him. Apparently, there are multiple ones. And Daniel's explaining... Well, he probably got them at a con, right? Apparently so. <laughs> That's how we got ours. Daniel's explaining that it represents perseverance, courage, and strength, but it also keeps the sweat out of your eyes. I mean, clearly, merchandising is the key to any successful franchise. Indeed, as Yogurt once prophesied, is there a Karate Kid gift shop on the premises of Miyagi-Do? That's the question as daniel and miguel bow to each other on the sparring deck johnny and the others round the corner and johnny says what the hell angrily biting his lip like he's been doing since the first time we met him in the karate kid and as the end snake appears we know that new trouble is brewing between johnny and daniel and with that we conclude our recap of cobra kai season four episode three (laughs) then Then learn learn fly. fly 
So, Jenny, now is the time that I traditionally turn to you and ask, what did you think of this episode? You know, this episode begins on a high note and ends on a slightly scary note. Mm -hmm. Because there's trouble in paradise now that Johnny is, is jealous of Daniel. And that is not great. But the episode is a hell of a lot of fun. It's a fanfic lover's dream with Johnny and Daniel having their own buddy montage. We get to see the great swap of what happens when Johnny pairs off with Sam and Miguel with Daniel. And we also get Terry Silver becoming a little bit more Terry Silver. So all of those things together make this a pretty delightful episode where the setup for the plot is fully one-to-one with the characters at hand, right? No need to elaborate or make people do something against type. They're all just following their instincts and we reap the benefits of it. Also delightful to hear Daniel called to carpet for his ridiculous antics in Karate Kids 2 and 3. Yeah, that whole run was pretty outstanding, that entire scene. Lampshading Daniel blowing his money is one of the best lampshades in existence. Yeah, exactly. There's so much to like about this episode. It starts in a feel-good place, and while it does end with sowing some seeds and telling us that trouble might be brewing, for the most part, it was all killer, no filler. We got a lot of development. I think we checked in with all our characters. We got a lot of development on Kenny, Terry, and Miguel and Sam specifically. I think Miguel and Sam make great protagonists for this particular episode because, again, we get to see their parallels and we get to see, the, as I mentioned during the recap, the parallels of the way that Johnny and Daniel position themselves. And really, they're not that dissimilar when it really comes down to it. Johnny's just reckless in well i was about to say johnny's reckless in ways daniel is not but then daniel has a whole speech of the dealership of the ways he's been reckless so i mean they're just both reckless in different ways i suppose yeah i mean i think that's the deal is that the one reason they understand each other is they have that but when they go about it in a different way and an affinity for fresh wood-fired pizza also very key exactly we share that affinity indeed it's great to see all of that it's interesting to think about another world in which Johnny and Daniel can just coexist, right? If we table that central driving conflict and see how it plays out between different characters who aren't the main two. It's really interesting, and I love the dinner scene. I love that we get to see Johnny and Anthony, a fan favorite moment, perhaps my favorite Easter egg. We'll talk about that during the Easter egg hunt. Just so neat to see all of them relating as people with histories and getting to see Miguel, although I think, you know, on one hand, Miguel protests too much because we know how great Miguel is and we know that Daniel loves Miguel, but really, Miguel has reasons to be shy and scared, right? It's a new relationship and he and Sam had already broken up once. So it's nice to see all those people kind of working through these feelings as an ensemble. What did you think about the Crease and Terry scenes? I think the Crease and Terry scenes are the trickiest ones because the show approaches its world in a much more realistic way than in the Karate Kid movies. And so all those scenes are writing towards bending Terry from being the character he was to the character they need him to be. And I think for the most part, they're successful. But as we kind of mentioned at the top of the season, the idea that Kreese would just show up and Terry would just go along with it is far too simplistic and far too easy to assume. And I think having this tact of Terry being reluctant and Terry 
only remembering the ways in which his friendship with Kreese hurt him is the more realistic tact. And I think the show benefits from that. I think you're right. This makes me think about something Watch Party shared on Twitter, which was asking people to weigh in on um, what they thought about if they hadn't brought back Chris and Terry. Like, how the show would have evolved in if that hadn't occurred. Because it takes up a lot of time, but they do it in an economical way as much as they can mm-hmm. to give Terry all of the meat of a villain not just a cartoon villain, right? Have this background, go back to the young Crease and Terry flashbacks. I agree with you that they're trying to make Terry be what they need him to be. And, you know, when we watched season one of Cobra Kai, I kind of assumed that that villain treatment would happen to Miguel's father, which I don't think Terry is. Sorry, sacred genealogist from of the Star Wars tradition. I don't think that anyone <laughs> is anyone's secret dad. Although Miguel's father may come into it, right? I'm really happy that Thomas Ian Griffith is back. They're spending that time on Terry, and I think it makes sense. I don't know what his conflict is. I mean, he got burned by Kreese, but I don't really know what his repercussions were yet. I feel like they haven't shown me two aspects of Terry's personality. One is how Terry became the campiest man on earth. I mean, we could say that's all the cocaine. But he's a fearful guy Mm. in the youthful flashbacks. And something's going to happen to make him pivot, and I don't think it's just drugs. The other thing is, I am confused about what it is that he's so angry at Kreese about. I mean, he says that Kreese disappeared after the Karate Kid Part 3, and I can see that because Kreese has a knack for disappearance. But I think the show may struggle or may have to show us something of what Terry suffered as a result of losing against Daniel and Mr. Miyagi in that in the karate kid part three because you know he's real mad i mean i get it a little bit because crease promised he'd always be there for terry but terry tells us it's not my fight and so i just need a little more evidence as to why he cares so much about defending crease particularly is that wookie life debt really enough you bring up an interesting point and without spoiling too much i think we're going to get more terry silver next season and i think that we would almost certainly be bound for some more flashbacks to help flesh that out. I could easily see a scenario in season five where we do another one of these flashbacks, which is a great way of getting the increasing young Terry actors back, Barrett Carnahan and Nick Marini, like get them back to do yet one more scene. Maybe we jump forward another few years. It's now the go-go 80s, the early 80s. Yep. And they're at a video arcade or some, you know, 80s-ish BS, right? The scene would be something like, you know, Terry's now fully embedded at Dynatox, but, like, he's got new fast friends who are into, like, cocaine, and they're, like, all basically American Psycho Juniors, right? (laughs) And Crease, you know is still trying to make the Cobra Kai dream work. And so he's really upset at Terry. And maybe the situation is a little bit inverted to where it's now Kreese who's like, GTFO, I can't have you in Cobra Kai being an 80s party boy. You know, you know, get your act together, then come back. And then that's the next beat of this relationship. Maybe, although Terry is super into Kreese when he rolls in, right, at, in Karate Kid 3. Like, Kreese is down on his luck. And Terry is 100% there for him, enthusiastically. But I think that is the undercurrent of their relationship. Or at least traditionally, Terry has spent the last 
30 or 40 years wanting to please crease in different ways. And I think that could easily work itself out into the beat that I'm describing where Terry's maybe funding Cobra Kai behind the scenes, but he's doing coke. He's got new fast friends. And so Terry thinks he's helping, but crease is like, you're not actually helping. Get out of here. This is all getting to an important point, which is that crease is getting so much money from Terry from moment one, apparently, because Terry says, I'm going to go work for my dad and I can still pay my half of the rent of the dojo Mm -hmm. or more. And it's interesting because Terry says, I can pay my half of the rent as if they've already had a conversation about rent. But I'm not sure to what extent he and Kreese had talked about a dojo per se, because that was only the first moment that Kreese talked about getting students. Or maybe that was just in the works and now the All Valley is speeding that up. So we know that that Terry's been an investor for Kreese all along, but we're really seeing like, oh, yeah, you know, not is, not an angel investor, a devil investor. <laughs> yeah, Crease's <laughs> flow of of capital depends on Terry being beholden to Crease. Indeed, for Crease, manipulating someone and being a good friend to someone are the same thing, mm-hmm. right? But it all benefits Crease's ethos that he is the one you know narrating and saying this is what it is. I think that might not be enough for Terry, and some of his resentment is wanting to do that on his own terms, not just bow to Crease's vision. All that to say, yeah, we're not done with Crease or Terry by any means, so I'm sure we're going to get lots more backstory filled in in some form or another. Though apparently we're done with Cheyenne. Sadly. We hardly unless, knew you, Cheyenne. Look, if we can get at least one hashtag started off this show, let's go ahead and get a bring Cheyenne back hashtag started. Justice for Cheyenne. Justice for Cheyenne. Let's get her back in season five. I'll settle for a cameo. I just want to know what she's up to. I just want to know about her whole thing. We just like, want to know if she's okay. Exactly. Oh. Cheyenne, are you okay? Cheyenne, can you let us know? Just send Hit us, us up. KarateKidPod at gmail.com you if you're send, okay. Pack some tofu and dry ice and send it our way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's fine. It's Look, really fine. We never forget to thank Cheyenne for the tofu. No, we will. Never, ever. We will forever thank Cheyenne for the tofu. Exactly. So yeah, other characters, anything else that you'd like to talk about? I mean, Kenny also has a great arc in this episode, but it's just kind of setting up his need to be in Cobra Kai. And I think the show makes a pretty good case for it. Like you said, it continues the beat that we saw last week where the idea is that Kenny is an ersatz Daniel. He's a Daniel by another name. And we're seeing what would have happened if Daniel had never met Mr. Miyagi through Kenny in this way. Thematically, this episode is really interesting because while you have the sort of back and forth between Terry and Kreese being the B or C plot, but the other storylines that we see in this episode are all fleshing out different ideas of instinct or different ways in which... Yeah, the young cast get in touch with their instincts, mm-hmm. right? So, oh, and the older cast, because we got Johnny and his pursuit of Carmen as well. Well, that's right. And Daniel and his pursuit of, I don't know. His pursuit of free auto repair. <laughs> Indeed. But with the teaching lessons are all about instinct. So we see Johnny goading Sam, but what Sam is really needing to get in touch with is her own instinct to fly. And that it may not be what Daniel wants it to be. Right. With Miguel, it's that he needs to have patience with himself, with his lack of certain kinds of resources, and have patience that he has what he needs to advance, to get the objective to catch the fish, you know, on his own. And with Kenny, you know, Robbie gives Kenny the lesson, follow your instinct to be fast, but do it in the other direction. 
interestingly, we see some of Robbie's instincts put into play because Robbie becomes a lot more like Daniel when he's one-on-one with someone who he has a personal stake in. And so each of these students is is learning. The older cast is learning from them. I mean, right now, Daniel's just having a good time. He doesn't have quite the same lessons to learn. He will learn towards the end of the, the season, I think. But for Daniel, it's just taking pleasure in enjoying Miguel as well as Sam, which is great because Daniel was so suspicious of Miguel early in the show. And now we get to see that happening. Everyone's kind of getting in touch with some aspect of themselves that they have anxiously put on hold for one reason or another. And that's really neat to see. Well, I guess Terry has the biggest instinct of all, right? Or the most dangerous one, because... That's true. He follows his instincts right back to Cobra Kai. There he finds his fangs. fangs. Well, eagles have fangs, too, though. That's true. Mm. Well. Let's call zoologist Johnny. Yeah, so that's a really interesting theme that's going on. Well, Jenny, let's move on to Easter eggs. Favorite Easter eggs, Colin? We discussed my favorite Easter egg, the ones that we do... (laughs) where Daniel seemed to be talking directly back at us with our Karate Kid 2 review, where we mentioned that last-minute plane tickets are quite expensive, and a plot point that they never really touched on in Karate Kid 2, they did a great job of backfilling that for us and and kind of lampshading it a little bit. So that was fun. Yeah, I, I think I think I'm with you on that. That was really exciting. I guess I also sp- honorable mention to Johnny saying you don't want to be a cream puff. That was fun too. Absolutely. In my head canon, that was totally. Hey, Johnny, your cream puff was totally Sid yelling that. Well, also. Uh, I guess this is kind of a Easter egg back to earlier Cobra Kai, whereas like now we have the Eagle Fang mobile. Like Johnny went <laughs> complete reco- with an Eagle Cry sound effect. Exactly. I I think that's what happens when you honk the horn in the Eagle Fang mobile. <laughs> is you get the Eagle Cry. I think that is a fun touch where it's like Johnny clearly loves his cars regardless of what the car is or what its uh, repair condition is <laughs> like he will fix up that car this dude will paint the side of a van at the drop of a hat well he has the skills to do yeah. it right i mean this is my question i think i said this in previous episodes but like who is it? in the valley there is you know karate for everyone mm-hmm. and there are you know hundreds of senseis or thousands of senseis or billions and billions of senseis mm-hmm. and then there are mural artists just everywhere sure even the most unschooled person can can draw genitals on daniel larusso's face and you know so johnny either knows a guy or just kicks ass at it himself exactly yep yeah i would like a a cut scene where we have Johnny at the auto shop trying to explain what he wants on the side of his van and and everyone offering to paint wizards and eagles. Yeah. That would be fun. Do you have an MVP for this episode? Uh, you bet I do. The temptation was to hand it to maybe Kenny or Miguel, but I think I'm going to have to give it to Sam LaRusso this time. And here's the reason why. I think... Like we discussed, everyone shows a lot of growth and a lot of movement in this episode, but I think Sam not only shows growth, but she also stands her ground in a way that the other characters don't have to. She's put in a position where she has to stand her ground. And specifically with Johnny, like when they get up to the roof, they're 
relationship starts antagonistic where they're both kind of calling each other to the carpet for the different infractions that they've committed towards each other for the last three seasons and then it becomes a place of grudging respect and then when sam also does an amazing stunt and has a great hero moment which again adds to her mvp status for this episode it then turns into a place of genuine respect and i gotta say larusso with eagle fang training who can fully synthesize that that's Sam's becoming a dangerous person in a lot of ways, and a lot of fun ways, and I'm here for it. I think we have a daily double. Sam LaRusso is also my pick for MVP, and I think that's a tribute to Mary Mauser as well as the team behind that moment, because I don't think she gets as much screen time as anybody else who's anchoring this episode. Mm Mm-hmm. Certainly not more than... Martin. But she maximizes the use of her time, absolutely. She does, and and Sam's moment is the pivot for the whole show that shows that someone in, in one tradition can change mm-hmm. and learn and grow in another direction that opens up a whole new field of possibilities for Johnny, relating to the students and, and having a, a prize student beyond Miguel. You know, not since Aisha have we seen Johnny really relate to a, a, a woman student. Tori a little bit, but not quite as much as the relationship he's developing with Sam. And we see Sam bring Johnny to temper his grow a pair rhetoric. Uh, mm-hmm. Like... Like, there's just a lot that happens, and and she carries that scene. And they shoot it so beautifully, seeing her and Johnny go at each other beyond her hero moment, or her shero moment, is really important for grounding this the show and bringing that you know amanda realness to a new generation yes so i'm just thrilled and and i was thrilled the first time i saw it i feel the same way every time i see it and that music is setting up even greater moments for sam's theme later in the show so i mean it's just all incredible and i would watch it on repeat if i could yes and indeed perhaps i should absolutely well that is fantastic so I think that will cover all the bases for this amazing episode. Um, We'll be back in a couple of weeks with our next episode. That's right. So, uh, until then, rate, like, and subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Overcast, or your podcatcher of choice. Leave us a good review, and uh, if you need to, if you have questions for us or something that we need to discuss please uh, hit us up on twitter at karate kid pod hit us up on gmail karate kid pod at gmail.com for any questions or feedback about the show but yeah until then we will see you next time with cobra kai season four episode four bicephaly what a name bicephaly <laughs> until then i've been calling candidate i remain jenny carlson And we'll see you around the Miyagi-verse. See you around the Miyagi-verse. Are You Karate Kidding Me is hosted by Colin Candidate and Jenny Carlson. Intro music is by Chepo. Cobra Kai music is by Leo Bierenberg and Zach Robinson. Karate Kid music is by Bill Conti. Rate our show on Apple Podcasts or your podcatcher of choice to help grow our listenership. Email us at KarateKidPod at gmail.com with questions and comments, or find us on social media. Use the Twitter handle at KarateKidPod. This podcast is independently produced by Geckring Media. Media.